Welcome to the One God Report podcast. This episode is an interview with Sir Anthony Buzzard, one of the most active One God believers of our time. Most listeners to this podcast will know about Sir Anthony. If by chance you don't, you will want to become familiar with him and his work. Anthony taught for decades at the Church of God Abrahamic Faith Bible College, now called Atlanta Bible College. He's the author of a number of books, including The Doctrine of the Trinity, Christianity's Self-Inflicted Wound, Jesus Was Not a Trinitarian, The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, Our Fathers Who Aren't in Heaven, Who is Jesus, and more. Some of the books are available for free PDF download. See the show notes for a link to his books and his webpage. I wanted to ask Sir Anthony about some of the changes he has seen in the One God Faith movement and what he has thought have been and should continue to be effective witnessing tools. One emphasis in the podcast that I would like listeners to note is the excitement and persistence that Sir Anthony has and continues to have in sharing about the One God and his human Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Apart from programs that may or may not be effective, I think every one of us can learn from Anthony about being excited and persistent in sharing our faith about the God of the Bible and his anointed Messiah, Jesus. Be this face-to-face with our neighbors and others we meet, or through the modern media of the internet. Another emphasis that Anthony makes is that we should gain experience, practice in witnessing about our faith in the one God, and this experience is simply gained by doing it. At the end of the interview, I take the liberty of sharing one other element that I believe is, or could be, essential for an effective witness to God and his Messiah. Now to the interview with Sir Anthony. Sir Anthony Buzzard, welcome to the One God Report podcast. Really glad to have you here today, and thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Bill. I'm honored to be asked to speak on your program. That's a very exciting thing for me. As I mentioned, we would like to talk a little bit about the history of the biblical Unitarian movement. I don't really like the term biblical Unitarian. It's Latin, Mm -hmm. and I think uh, there's some confusion in it, but we'll use it for the time being just for convenience sake. Yes. And I wanted to ask you, you've been in this you've been in this faith for decades now. So you've had a lot more experience than some of the people like myself. I've only come yes. to this understanding in the yes. last several years. That's so we right. can yep, we can learn a lot from you and it's always interesting to see what's gone on in the past and maybe uh mm-hmm. have some ideas for what could happen in the days to come. Absolutely right. I agree with you entirely. Experience is a good teacher. It doesn't grant any level of infallibility. I will say that I've had the privilege of being able to do this as a quote job. In other words, I've been able to read a lot of stuff. I've collected some 5,000 books in my own library, mostly secondhand, many of them just given to me. So I've been able to consult a lot of people through books. And that does, I think if you, anything you do as a job, you tend to learn how it works. Not infallibly, but yes, that, that is right. The experience is valuable for me. And uh, so, yes, what was it particularly about the BU movement? Or should we call ourselves Unitary Monotheists? Whatever it is, yeah. we're one God people, certainly. Amen. 
Let me ask you this first, Anthony. <laughs> Sometimes you'll hear it said, well, this understanding of the one God and his human Messiah, Jesus, didn't come around until the Reformation with the Socinians. This is a Socinian yes. movement. Yes. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, no, that's not true, because it's been around <laughs> very much earlier than that. Of course, from our angle, it was there in the New Testament period. But Unitarianism uh, is found in Justin Martyr. Now, he did believe in the pre-existence, but he was not a Trinitarian. We're talking about 150 AD. Justin Martyr said, Yes, some of my colleague Christians don't believe in the pre-existence of Jesus. He personally did. So the Jew, the unconverted Jew, is really more on the ball in terms of Jesus actually being fully human. So it's right there in 150. It's later on then in the people known as the uh, Photinians, P-H-O-T-I-N, Photinians. Photinus was a bishop somewhere in Smyrmium, I think. And he clearly had our view. The name I should have mentioned earlier would be Paul of Samosata. He's uh, second, third century, very early on. Paul of Samosata was expelled for his views, which are really like ours. And then at the time of the Reformation, things really uh, heated up a great deal because this schoolmaster in Gloucester, uh, who declared that he was a Unitarian of our type, uh, John Biddle, this is John Biddle. Mm -hmm. He was a teacher at the Crip School in Gloucester, mispronounced in America sometimes as Gloucester, but Gloucester. He began teaching scripture because that's what the school told him to do. Every staff member had to keep to teach scripture. And he discovered the one God in there. And all hell broke loose. They passed a law of parliament against him. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's the gloomy side of all this. But so you've got people of our, of our belief, certainly in the Reformation and in the current times, massively, but I'll just finish with this point, massively from what we would consider rather liberal Christians. In other words, they don't treat the Bible as we do, but they're massively in favor of Unitarianism. Even James Dunn, just before he died, with whom I corresponded over the years, uh, and he came to the conclusion that we're promoting here that Jesus is not Yahweh. He's not Jehovah, however you pronounce that, and it doesn't matter. He's not Yahweh, but he's the Son of God, the Messiah. So it's tremendous advances, I think, for us. And then people like you emerging from a Trinitarian setting. I mean, this is an extraordinarily fascinating thing for me. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I yeah. think it could be said that there's always been a remnant that have believed, as like in the days of Elijah when he complained that he's the only one. God told him, uh, no, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. <laughs> yes. uh, and so sometimes finding, knowing about every individual historically may not be so simple, right? Can we really expect that, call yeah. it a minority opinion, would get all the press that the majority opinion would have? I know. I think it's getting much more press because of the miracle of internet, the fact that you're d doing these discussions. So I think that best Unitarian argument that isn't getting the press it should get is the singular personal pronoun. I, even I. Let's argue about how many persons that is. You know, mm. Isn't that amazing? I can't get over that. I wake up thinking of it every day. Anthony, let's bring it a little bit more into modern times. Yes. What changes have you seen in the biblical Unitarian or One God movement in the past, say, 30 or 40 years? 
Yes, if I'm talking about the people with whom I was particularly associated, the Church of God of the Faith of Abraham, what changes have I seen? Actually, not much. And there I'm veiling a slightly negative answer because I do think that we have, we who are in possession of this information, have a duty to be activists more than has been the case. So the danger with denominations is that they sit back on their laurels and I think they need to be prodded by their leaders all the time and ask, what are you doing activism-wise? What are you doing to spread this precious knowledge of truth as far and wide as you possibly can? I don't think that's happening. So the change has been in this sense that nothing much has changed, but that's not a good idea. I wish it had changed more. And I welcome the internet as a marvelous uh, access to a pool of information. People say to me, Bill, quite often, how do you manage to, to turn the minds of people? I say, if you're fishing in a big pool like the internet, you've got a much better chance than just talking to your neighbors. You're not going to win the, the neighbors necessarily, but you start talking to millions of people and especially former Jehovah's Witnesses worldwide. We've got a number of very activist people in that line now. So that is the good news and the sort of uh, prospect of greater things. I'm always optimistic. We could have, I think, a much greater influx of people saying, you know, Jesus believed in the one God of Israel. Wow. That would mm -hmm. be terrific. Mm -hmm. Okay. What do you think have been some successful aspects of your own ministry? Well, the success is, is uh, as I mentioned, firstly, that I was allowed to do this full time. Secondly, the internet. I mean, my parents would not believe the Zooming, talking to people, seeing them, hearing them. They wouldn't believe this. So I think it also lays a responsibility on us that we must use the tools of science that God has granted to us. And the information age, this certainly is, we've got Jews, and you've made this point too, Jews and Muslims who are completely held at arm's length from Christianity purely because of the idea of God being more than one. That is huge in terms, not that we're huge, we're nothing, we're just part of the scheme, but it's a huge fact that millions of Jews and millions of Muslims cannot accept Jesus as God. Well, isn't that huge? I mean, that's a huge idea to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Are there some dangers with, let's say, a focus on the internet evangelism yeah. i mean one of the things you somewhat just hinted at yeah. is maybe in some ways mm -hmm. it's easy to evangelize over the internet because it's it's less personal but yeah. i feel it in myself it's more difficult for me simply to go out and tell my neighbor about the one god yes i think you're probably right there i think about that every time i walk past the neighbor's house I try to drop in conversations uh, which will get people in the right direction, either on the kingdom or the one God, wherever I can. But it's very unlikely that you're going to win hundreds scores of people in your own area. So I'm not sure what to do with that. Here's what I see as the, the difficulty in quotes for us. In the New Testament, Paul is almost a solo worker, isn't he? There is a place where he says, now that he's in prison, He's happy that the church members are doing the work of evangelism. He's pleased about that. So I don't know. I mean, maybe you can help us with that too. 
What is the best way locally of getting this known? Yeah, it seems to me that there is a place yep. for just being able to invite neighbors to start a small fellowship and say, hey, we've got a Bible study going on. Would you be interested in being up front or not Trinitarian? We yep. understand that God is yep. one and Jesus is the Messiah. It's on my heart. So I have to say that in some ways it's easy to evangelize by the Internet. I think, we, as you mentioned, it, it is an amazing resource it is. and we yeah. need to use it. And, and you can reach many people, people in all yeah. different countries and around the Absolutely. world can find out about and learn this. And people can seek. This is the way we do. This is the way we That's find right. out information. In That's a lot right. of ways, the blackout that the church has put on information of yeah. centuries, really, yeah. is now been lifted. This is like the the printing of the Bible in the days of Wycliffe. Now yes. people can get the information Absolutely. that they've never been able to get before. I mean, I hear over and over again a silly claim that Jesus is worship, so he must be God. Well, really? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, look at the Bible, and you can yes. look on the internet now and read an article if you can't find it yourself in the Bible, where people will point out many Absolutely. places in the biblical text where somebody is bowing down the same word worship to David or Abraham, to the people of Canaan, et cetera, et cetera. So the information is available now, and, and that's going to help. It's going to <clears> help. Yes, it is. But Absolutely. I, if, you can get, if you can get people to read, though, but in the movement with which I've been associated, they aren't really being encouraged to read. So if I could get all the pastors together in a meeting, I'd say, are you urging your people to read, first of all? People will say, uh, Bill, this sort of thing. Well, I've tried telling people and they always reject me. What? You haven't tried yet. You haven't begun to try. You haven't yet read enough to get excited. It seems to me you have to fill yourself with the history of these things. Part of what you're doing here and having these public discussions. I mean, what are you excited about? If there isn't any excitement about immortality and who Jesus is and how you gain it, then nothing is interesting. Mm. But you've got, to, you've got to feed yourself massively. I mean, you cannot spend time reading novels and other lighthearted stuff for hours and hours. Every you can't afford that. Mm -hmm. You've got to be reading in order to be an activist. And that's what I would want to say to the younger people, particularly if any later listening to this program, you've got brilliant young kids growing up 12, 13, 14, 15. This is the time to get this information, to become fascinated by the only question that really matters how do i get to live forever isn't that marvelous amen it's and, exciting and, yep and anthony yep. that does seem to remind me of one mm -hmm. aspect of your ministry that has been influential and that is that you've yep. written books that too that's exactly right bill you're exactly right. that's part of the conversation the books are not bad i'm not a writer i'm a hack language teacher I'll just say to you for fun, I'm very bad in history, really. So I have from, and much of what we get is from our parents, by the way, we're really offcuts of our parents. My dad had this way of getting to the point. Mm -hmm. The point is, what did Jesus say was the greatest of all commandments? That's the point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I find that quite fascinating. So uh, the answer, simple answer to your question is this, to be an activist, you've got to learn to do activism. You've got to be ready to argue in the best sense, to dialogue. The text in, in this case is Acts 19, 18. Paul is dialoguing for three months with these people, arguing with them. 
So if you're not willing to argue with people in the best sense, I mean, I mean dialogue, you're not going to do any activism. So you have to get used to that idea. And I do think it's part of what we are supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really does seem that we know that most people are going to reject this message. But yes. in, in our day, there is a questioning of authority, be it political, religious, Absolutely. established authority. So there are there are going to be some people that will listen and some people that are seeking the truth. And Absolutely. We and we to... live out of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So we've kind of yeah. talked about this a little bit, but what else mm. then, if we could put our finger on it, should one God believers continue to do, let's say, or do yes. better in the future? Do much better in the future. Well, they've got to train themselves. I, I don't know otherwise. How do you get excited about anything? You need to listen to the news too, by the way. I have friends who won't listen to the news. They think that's too worldly. No, no. The only thing in the parallel with what we're supposed to be doing is so striking to me. If you listen to the American news, the only thing they're talking about, who's going to be in charge? Who's mm -hmm. going to rule? Mm -hmm. Who's going to govern? That's exactly Jesus's obsession. He comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is effectively selecting the personnel for a world system that's going to work. And that's a marvelous feed in to the gospel right there with news. So we need to know what's going on. We're not part of the political system. I'm a green card person. I haven't even bothered to fill in the forms because I drive on the same wrong side of the road as you guys and I pay the same taxes. But I am very concerned with how the world thinks because then I can better approach them. What else do you do? I don't know. As you said, write books. I'm not a writer, but I'm enough good with English words. And that's, again, everything we have is a talent that our, our forefathers gave us or God gave us. One of my sayings in the college Bill, was this, what talent have you got that God didn't give you? The answer is nothing. But the takeaway from that is get busy with your talents and develop those talents in the service of the gospel. Mm -hmm. I think Jesus really cared about the truth. I think Paul really cared. He just thought people were lost. You know, well, they're all good people. Now, wait a minute, I don't think so. Paul keeps this rather dismal line going about uh, how things will get worse and worse, people deceiving and being deceived. Oh, oh my goodness, it's wicked to be deceived. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're not frightfully excited about these verses anymore. Anthony, let me yeah. ask you this, mm. a little bit too personal maybe, but yep. are there some mistakes that you think you've made in the past in your walk with the one God? Yeah, I think I make mistakes all the time, uh, particularly in family relationships. Uh, we didn't talk about these things in that British system. We assumed that everybody was a jolly good chap. Our assumption was that everybody's basically good. And there, there are a lot of very good people who'd be very kind, but I've not allowed that to impact me as much as I should. And there's a form of selfishness that can be involved in being so absorbed with what you're doing, you're not paying attention enough to what's going around. So I try to retrain myself almost daily in that basis, a form of selfishness. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, that's mm -hmm. a major mistake. I think yeah. so. It seems mm -hmm. like with our families, there's a fine line between not saying anything and yes. saying too much. Absolutely. There, there does seem to, to be a necessary moderation there. 
we can't just never talk about it. Yeah. But maybe there is sometimes where I felt like I yeah. dumped too much on my yeah. family and friends. Yes. Just have to give them enough to think about and maybe not flood them. Absolutely. No, you're so right about that. And I, I am learning that. But again, I'm learning it by doing it. Mm. If you want to learn to share, to use the American expression, share the gospel, effectively preach the gospel, you've got to learn it. You've got to start doing it. And you can mm. do it either with your neighbor next door, if there's an opportunity, or you can do it on this massive scale that we're doing in the internet. By the way, that text I didn't quite get right, 19 and verse 8 of Acts. Paul entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom. Hmm. This is going to take hours. And sometimes my friends have said to me, why don't you give up on so-and-so? Leave him alone. He's not going to believe it. And six months later, he said, my goodness, you're right. And then he's extremely grateful that I went on with him. I'm thinking of a gentleman in London. I won't name him, but he's a, a vigorous non-Trinitarian now. But he fought me on the pre-existent thing for, for I mean, very rudely. You know, he just said, to Anthony, you haven't got a clue. All these verses in John obviously talk about a pre-existent Jesus. And I went on with him. I don't know why, because it's a challenge. You're, it's like catching a fish. Didn't Jesus say that? Hmm. And some fish are hard work. You've got to keep at it. So you don't give up. I think you've got to be frightfully determined that their salvation depends on believing the truth in order to be saved. As long as Paul is so dramatically a one-minded a one person, Jesus is the same. I think it was Steve Taylor over there in Arizona who said Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom of God. He was because he really believed that people were lost if they didn't get the truth. Well, that drives us on, doesn't it? So I don't know what else to say but that. Anthony, one thing I'll, I'll say yeah. before I forget, and that you're, praise God, you're to be commended in, for your continual excitement and energy <laughs> yeah. about this understanding of who God and his Messiah are. Yeah. Can, can I ask how old you are now? I'm 85, going on 86, mm. coming up. And that's a, that's a genetic thing to some extent. You know, I got that. And also my wife, I'll, I'll put in a plug for her, is very keen on diet. I want to say this humorously to you, Bill. I think the audience will find this quite funny. In my English days, and we came to the States in 1981, in my days before coming to the States, the idea that what you ate as food would affect your health was a kind of silly American idea. What? No, no, no. America's got that absolutely right. So I, at every opportunity I get, I say, stay off the Cokes. Don't drink all that sugar. You aren't doing yourself any good. So that's another part of what we have come to believe. But I'm excited about that and daily grateful for 85 years. My father died at 69. Mm. My mother at 84, admittedly. But, you know, if you die at 69... You've lost a lot of life there <laughs> because the more you do this, the better you get at it until you become so feeble you can't do anything. So that would be my answer to that point. <laughs> and so let me just ask you then, is there anything else you would say about mm. the future? Is What could be done better? How about even the idea of colleges? Do you think yeah. a college <laughs> format developed? I mean, part of the problem with yeah. this, all these things are money. And I can understand in the One God yeah. movement, this sort of a hesitancy to... yeah gather money together that's necessary for some kind of a large institution. 
Good point. A anything else that uh, you would recommend? Point. Yeah. Uh, a college, yes. A college is a very much a mammoth thing. You've got to do meals. You've got to do residence and all that. Ideal. But uh, as you say, it's a huge venture to buy land and build a college. I, for myself, uh, it seems to me that the internet is is a better thing to put your efforts into at the moment. But that could change. Mm -hmm. Well, the Atlanta Bible College is there. And it's, yes. you know, it's always sort of existed as a, as a smaller institution. Yep. relatively small student body so it's there and yep. in god's plan and purpose yes one would yes. hope that it would be able to develop and and more people mm -hmm. could get an education when you have the time as a younger person to focus yes. just on studying it does seem yep. like something like that could be another brick in the yes. building of, of a future witness yes. to who god is no i think you're absolutely right but having got your college, you've then got to get some keen people and hope to produce elders, pastors, whatever you want to call them, for the group. And that has happened, but on a very small scale. Again, because I think basically we have not been aggressive enough in a nice way. There's a failure of excitement and activism in the Unitarian movement generally. Anthony, let me ask you one other question yeah. before we yeah. leave. And Thank it's you. going to be more of a theological question. From my own personal testimony, yeah. as I began to see that God is one and Jesus is God's Messiah who died yes. and was raised from the dead in the Bible, one yeah. of the still lingering problems in my own mm. understanding was this idea of the preexistence yes. of, of Jesus. Great. And I think for many yep. Trinitarian people, the yep. preexistence of Jesus, it's like a given and it's for many Absolutely. people, it's the strongest evidence that Jesus is God. If he preexisted somehow, he, he could also be eternal God. Now, I read Absolutely. your chapter in your book, The Trinity, Christianity, Self-Inflicted Self Wound, yep. on yep. the idea of preexistence in the New Testament. And that was okay. very insightful. Good. So let, let me ask you, what hmm. are some of the best biblical evidences yes. against or contrary to hmm. the idea of a literal pre-existence of Jesus? That's a wonderful question. Funnily enough, somebody just this last week wrote to me and said that I've completely changed their minds on this point. Mm. I simply wrote, and I'll keep saying it, how can you pre-exist yourself? How can you be older than your own grandfather? Now that got people thinking, and this is the art of apologetics. Getting the right question is the key. The real point not getting down in the weeds and getting lost in a great deal of detail. But I cannot imagine how anybody could think that you could be older than your grandfather. You've got to be non-human. If you pre-exist, you want to ask your friends then, in what form did Jesus pre-exist himself? What was he? If they say angel, it should be perfectly obvious that Hebrews knocks that on the head by saying God never, ever, ever, ever said to any angel at any time, whatever, ever, ever, you're my begotten son. Never said to an angel. So it couldn't be an angel. Mm -hmm. So then did he pre-exist as God? Wait a minute. That sounds awfully like two gods to me. So you've got God, meaning how many persons in the New Testament? Eventually you get back to the one God question. So you say, when the Bible says God, 1300 times in the New Testament alone, when does it ever mean a triune God? That's the question. 
Now, James White, you know, our antagonist in the book on, on Jesus and the Trinity, he says sometimes the word God means all three persons together. Doesn't give you a verse. So I do detective work. It's what I, I consider myself a prosecutor. And I'm doing detective work. I'm looking at this other side. And I will have to tell you that liars, who are not intentional liars, liars give themselves away eventually, if you will ask the right question. So you have to ask the question, well, where did they ever mean a triune God when they said God? Never. That surely should make people say, let me ask some more questions. In other words, I think we're trying to get people to reason with us and get them to sometimes say the nonsense that they actually believe they don't know that. If you tell a Trinitarian that he believes that Jesus is man, but not a man, he hasn't even thought about it enough to know that. That's part of the problem, not reading. Or if you say that Jesus, according to your Trinitarian church, had a beginningless beginning, I want to know what that's about. So the fellow at Harvard, Andrews Norton, is brilliant. Andrews Norton said that the story of Christology and who God and who Jesus are is the story of words without meaning. Nonsense. I'm not sure that God, and I'm putting that in a stupid, uh, under, underplayed British way, I'm convinced that God is angry at nonsense. Mm -hmm. We've got a brain. We can see that Jesus was a Jew. So it all boils down then to common sense. Mary had a baby. Now, that one of the difficulties that we probably should mention as well, of course, in liberal theology today, they don't believe the Bible at all. People with PhDs at theological liberal colleges, they spend most of their time arguing about whether Jesus actually said the things that he is alleged to have said. Mm -hmm. What a waste of time. I, I don't have that difficulty. I have a naive biblicist point of view because I cannot conceive of God not speaking to us, that he made us, created us, put us on the earth, and then said, I'm not going to tell you what's, what's up. That's just absurd. And Jesus was a huge fundamentalist in that regard, so I'm trying to follow him. So those are some of some of the points I think one would make. And biblically, yeah. Would you hmm. emphasize the birth narratives Absolutely. in Matthew or Luke? Absolutely. The idea that, that this would. is the beginning of Jesus, the genesis of the Messiah? Totally. So you you've hit an excellent point there. The first thing to be said is, well, okay, let's talk about pre-existence. Let's start with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let's start there. Why are you starting with John all the time? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Start there. All right. Show me pre-existing Jesus in the narratives in de great detail, the birth narratives in Matthew and Luke. The word Genesis right there. Luke 135. The okay in Greek. Precisely because. The okay. Precisely because of the miracle, he'll be called the son of God. Wow. That's right. You see, there's a crime scene going on. The King James is very misleading in very subtle ways because it helps you, in quotes, forces you to believe in the Trinitarian idea. So the King James has, uh, for that reason, also. Mm. Oh, I see. That's clever. So there's another reason why he's pre-existing uh -huh. or, not, you know, why he's a or son called, of God. Called the son of God, yeah. Yes. Also, what you're saying is Jesus yeah. is not called the son of God until he's born. Of course. But the, the King James invites you to, to think that there might be another reason for him being the son of God, the okay, 
which simply means for that reason precisely, for that reason indeed. It doesn't mean for that reason also, but it's a crime scene out there. There is a devil and he watches, I think, our minds and he does everything he can possibly do to, to deceive us. I don't like that. I wish it were not so. Then, Anthony, let me just yeah. ask you, too, then. So some of the few references in the Gospel of John where people yes. go to to find the yes. so-called pre-existence, if it's yes. Jesus saying something like before Abraham came into yes. being, I am he, or yeah. uh, the glory which I had with you before the foundation of the world, which you have exactly. given to me before the foundation of the world. These few references, how are they better understood then? Well, that's a great, a great point. The one about I am, it's used constantly. There you go. Jesus is saying, I'm God. Wait a minute. Look at the context of that brilliant conversation in John 4, I think in John 4, between Jesus and the lady at the well. And you've got to read the context. I mean, you know this well, but this is the point you make to destroy the idea that Jesus, when he says, ego, emi, I am he, that he means I'm God. That's just fantastically wrong, and you can show it in a second to anybody who's open-minded. The lady says, we've heard that the Messiah is coming. Samaritans had heard that too, the Tahev, the one who returns. We've heard that Messiah is coming, and Jesus looks that lady in the eye and says, the one who is speaking to you right, right now is he. Who? God? Of course not. Hmm. So you have to destroy these popular fallacies, and that's kind of easy. The other one in John, in John 17 not so hard because he says, I have given, let's suppose to Bill Schlegel, who wasn't even born when Jesus said that, I've given Bill Schlegel the hope of the kingdom of God and immortality. I've given it. And even glory, what? right? He says glory. glory. I've given Absolutely. glory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you weren't even alive. Mm -hmm. That's perfectly obvious then that that's glory in intention. Mm -hmm. you, but you're absolutely right. You have to work at and practice and wake up thinking in the morning. How do I say this? Uh, we do this all the time. My wife is very good at this too. So we spend much of our day trying to find very, very incisive and effective ways of saying these things. That's the training that we started by talking about. Mm -hmm. In the biblical record, things that are pre-known by God are spoken as if they already exist. Isn't that wonderful? Mm -hmm. And that's first Peter, right? He was foreknown. Peter is absolutely brilliant. See, I don't think we're cashing in, it's the wrong word, but I don't think we're taking advantage of these massive truths as much as we should. Well, Anthony, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate for your, your work. friendship and your help mm -hmm. even in those days too when I first started to come to this. Yeah. understanding and many others i know share the oh, yeah. same gratitude yeah. to you and to your wife barbara yeah. so thank thanks you. so much yep. appreciate we'll see it. you again soon right likewise to you and your beautiful presentation with your wife where i'll just finish with this little humorous point where i've told you this before you said that you were too emotional i thought no I, this is great i love it i love the emotion you showed there because it went beyond you know the boring head heart thing so well done keep up your good work Okay, thanks a lot, Anthony. Right. Blessings Thank in the Messiah, you. Yeshua. This is Bill Schlegel for the One God Report podcast. As my friend Sean Finnegan likes to say, the One God faith is a faith whose time has come. I hope a discussion like the one I had with Sir Anthony stimulates other One God believers 
to consider ways in which we can be more effective in witnessing and in being bold to get involved, to join the fray, so to say. I'd like to suggest one aspect that could be very important in establishing an effective witness in which many people would hear about the one God and his Messiah, Jesus. That is, we should pray that God would open the eyes of a core group of Israeli Jews to know the truth. Then, like in the days of that Pentecost after Jesus was raised from the dead, when Peter preached, and 3,000 came to believe. If 3,000 Jews began to tell the world that Jesus is not God, but is the raised from the dead, exalted to the right hand of God, human Messiah, Gentiles the world over will have to listen. It will be like the prophets Isaiah and Micah said, Ki mitzion tetze Torah udvar Hashem mirushalayim. For the teaching will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem.